At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash madmoney and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash madmoney. Thanks for your help. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC. Or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Holy cow, I come back from vacation in Italy and the market just catches fire. Once again, a fantastic session like Friday's. This time the Dow surged 399 points. S&P climbing 1.18%. NASDAQ pulling 1.15%. I got to tell you, it's nice to feel appreciated. Seriously, though, it's good to be back in Kramerica. I've missed you, and not a moment too soon, because things have gotten a little crazy around here. That's why I think what we need more than anything else at the moment is to get right back in sync immediately. Not with this morning's news. You heard that all day, but with a game plan for the rest of the week that maybe can help you make some money. Yes, we had a terrific session today, no doubt about that, starting out with Warren Buffett's calming words about owning stocks, spoken to Becky Quick. By the way, owning, not trading, Apple being exhibit A. Boy, there's a man in my heart. We know he likes the market enough to be looking for big buys. He's got the cash. He's got more than $100 billion sitting idle. But he hasn't been able to find anything. So what? you know what i got to say? Maybe my game plan can help him. I'll even waive my, convi- my commission. All right, well, Come over here. Come over here. Let's get started. Tomorrow morning, we'll hear from two retailers with wild expectations. Macy's and AutoZone. No one really believes that Jeff Gannett, the new CEO, can do much to change Macy's fate. We've been backing him now for nine straight points. I think the consensus is dead wrong. Gannett's reinventing Macy's as a cooler, hipper department store that looks a lot neater, by the way. Have you checked it out? with a flagship store in Herald Square that I think is bound to get a boost from the weaker dollar. Tourists know to go there. Meanwhile, if Macy's has any spare real estate, and I think they certainly do even in that Herald Square store, it's going to be monetized. AutoZone's the reverse. Lots of people have gotten behind this one lately, which always is a bit worrisome for me. Even as I've liked the name, and it's been number one for me in the segment, Advanced Auto Parts did report a good number last week. The Zone is a longtime Kramer fave, but you know what? We're giving things a chance to cool off here when they've been straight up. Workday reports tomorrow, and I wish the stock hadn't run so hard into the quarter. These cloud names are unstoppable. This is one of the, the best software as a service companies around. Right up there, let's put it with ServiceNow, okay, Adobe, and Salesforce.com. 
I suspect a fantastic quarter that often is misunderstood, giving you your umpteenth undeserved chance to buy on weakness. The cloud stocks remain the hottest of the hot in technology. Let's go oil. We hear from EOG Resources, and it's become one of the two sainted oils that are left to own here, along with Pioneer Natural Resources, an old favorite of mine. I reiterate that there's a sea change going on against the group, though, and you need to sell the oils into strength, even the good ones. I think EOG is extraordinarily well run, but younger portfolio managers who will inherit the earth simply don't believe in fossil fuel investments. They were one of the few weak areas in today's incredibly strong session. J.P. Morgan, yes, the biggest bank, has an analyst meeting tomorrow. And what can I say? Another turbocharged session today. I bet they'll talk about how this is an incredible moment for worldwide banking. I hope they'll explain how U.S. companies are now using them to borrow money abroad because our own new tax code makes deductions more difficult. Oh, this is a fantastic business for American banks, particularly J.P. Morgan and the stocks leading the group. I wish the darn thing would come in. Some more could be there. Now, the big story Tuesday, of course, is not an individual stock at all. It's Jay Powell's testimony on the Hill, the new Fed chief. Do you know that the people who missed this rally are hoping for Powell to fare poorly? Good luck with that. Thin read. Wednesday morning, we get results from Lowe's, one of my favorite places to shop. Activists have been circling like vultures around this retailer. And all I can say is, will you please give me a break? We think of Lowe's as one of the best retailers on earth if they weren't competing with Home Depot, which might be the best retailer, period. Pray for a dip so you can do some buying. Now, here's a controversial one, TJX. I wonder if the off-price chain can restore its luster. Stock's been creeping up. We've seen so many disappointing quarters from this company versus, say, Ross Stores or Burlington, or even let's throw in Ollie's, one of my faves. I don't expect to repeat, but you know what? Low expectations might work a little magic with TJX. Salesforce.com comes on Wednesday, and they have been telling good stories all over the country. I see it having a strong quarter. And I've got to tell you, maybe this time the profit-taking, which has been just so climactic after every single report, will be held to a minimum. We also get an analyst meeting from Honeywell. And new CEO, I only called him, now he's been around for a while, but Dave Cody's retired. New CEO Darius Adamchek will spell out his vision of what Honeywell should do. Split up, stay together. We don't really know what will occur. My travel trust, which you can follow along at ActionLearnsPlus.com, has been in front of this one because we admire Darius for his willingness to explore all his options for unlocking value. You know what it reminds me of? It's not unlike Uber Kramer fave Greg Hayes who's contemplating the breakup of United Technologies in aerospace when it comes to uh, acquisition of Rockwell, climate controls and elevators, the board's pondering it. These are my kinds of CEOs. Let's throw in one other. Ed Breen from Dow DuPont. These are guys who know that breaking up is a fabulous way to bring out more value. Thursday is Retail Fireworks Day, and I've got to tell you something. I think it's going to surprise. Positively. The chronically undervalued Best Buy will tell a good story of strong demand for electronics. Don't forget, they sell lots of HP Inc. products, too. Everything from the uh, printer products to the actual PCs, like the one that I have, which I do like so much. Kohl's reports, and I think that's going to be good, too. Why? Well, because when you get a turnaround in retail, this is definitely the case here at Kohl's. Remember we spoke to them not that long ago in Florida? Do you know the turns around in retail? They're never just one-quarter turnarounds. They're more than that. I like the stock, and I think any buy on a dip going into Thursday is going to be well rewarded. I don't know what to make of Anheuser-Busch these days. The world's going towards Modelo, Corona, Pacifico, the real growth drivers of beer. And those all belong to Constellation, symbol STZ. 
However, this could be the last truly weak quarter from Bud, so a trade may be in the offing. The trust owns Constellation. Its recent wine-related weakness is your opportunity, as I tell club members every chance I get. Thursday, we hear from one of my favorite tech names of the era, too, VMware, which is the way to onboard to the cloud, especially to Amazon. There's all sorts of clutter and chatter about what Dell will do as it owns the majority stake here. My two cents, I don't think anyone in this hierarchy is out to hurt VMware shareholders, and its technology may be among the best there is. I would buy the stock. Let's do this. Buy some before and buy some after. I don't know what to say about Nordstrom. We told ActionLordsPlus.com club members this was among one of our favorite retailers just last week, and we don't need a takeover to vindicate that judgment, but it sure wouldn't hurt, would it? Either way, I expect decent numbers, given how well their kind of apparel uh, and footwear have been selling. If the stock stays this low versus its peers, and it was down today, I bet it does take itself private. Oh, and then let's talk shoes. Step into Foot Locker, which has been an absolute rocket ship of late. I think it will maintain its, its altitude on Friday. Is it my favorite? No. But many analysts turn negative at the bottom, and they're still scrambling and itching to go positive up here. With a resurgent Nike, a good Adidas, with declining inventory from Under Armour, that stock hasn't come down. You know I believe in Kevin Plank. I think he's turning it around. I think Foot Locker is liable to be, liable to be a win. Finally, is JCPenney the odd man out, or is business so good for everyone that this chain can prevail? Perhaps it can, but the real weakness is not that Penny may be getting stronger. It's that Kohl's or Burlington or a Target's just outright better. As my mother always said, comparisons are odious, except when it comes to horses and stocks. The bottom line, there's a lot to like this week, but please pay special attention to Fed Chief Jay Powell's trip to the Hill tomorrow, where I think he'll set a very positive tone. And if he doesn't, all the more luckily, do some buying. Let's go to James in Virginia. James. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back. What's going on, my friend? Well, I have a question. You know, with aerospace doing as good as it is and Boeing with all the orders they have for new aircraft, um, I have a stock, ATI, Allegheny Technology, which p- produces uh, lightweight metals, right. uh, titanium and steel. Um would uh, would those orders on the aircraft would they be re- reflected in the in that product? Do you think? Yes, they will, and I think that's an interesting derivative. But you know what I have to say, James? I'm not a derivative player. If what's good for Boeing is good for Boeing, you buy Boeing. And I think that stock with a $400 target and having recently spoken with the CEO, I feel that that's the real way to invest in aerospace. Steve in Missouri, Steve. Hey, Jim, welcome back from Italy. Thank you very much. I love being back in the office. What's up? A stock you've mentioned before is Apple Hospitality. They went public almost three years ago, and they've traded in a fairly tight range between $17 and $22. The price right now is at the bottom of that trading range, and the juicy dividend is above 6%. Do you think that dividend is safe, and would you buy, sell, or hold Apple Hospitality? Well, thank, thank you for that question, Steve. I would tell you that the real estate investment trusts, other than today where they had a little lift, have been under a lot of pressure. And I don't want to be the guy who's, who tries to call the bottom. Why? Because, you know, there's so many things that are working here. I don't need to try to figure out what hasn't been working and bet that that's about to change. So that's my stance on Apple Hospitality. All right. Welcome back, America. And boy, is it a good week to be back. There's a lot to like, including what I think 
Jay Powell will have to say when he goes to the Hill. On Mad Money tonight, curling may be over, but the show's just getting started. I'm pointing out what you may have missed over the past few weeks. Then I've got to ask you, is General Mills barking up the right tree when it comes to its acquisition of Blue Buffalo? I'm going to give it my take. And a little-known biotech company with a new and novel way to treat cancer. It's up, just, it's up 6% just today. Wait until you hear the innovative ways it's attacking tumors. I'm talking to the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Curly's got nothing on the stock market. Over the last two weeks, while I was on an Olympic-induced vacation, but then again, we did well. This market has gone from tumultuous to tricky to triumphant, often by the hour. So now that I'm back, you know what? we got to catch up on the greatest show on earth. First, allow me to set the scene. Whenever I'm still trying to get my sea legs under me, I like to return to the totems of my youth that have held up through thick and thin year after year. Which totems? Well, you know what? We know that earnings can be ephemeral. Bonds, they can be fickle. And the Fed can be downright enigmatic, while currencies and commodities spook easily. We need something that's solid as bedrock, which is why I subscribe to a product called the S&P Short Range Oscillator. I've been following it closely every single day of my life since, since back in 1987. It's the single best indicator of whether the market's overbought or oversold, meaning it tells you when we've gone too far, too fast in one direction two weeks ago. When everyone on Wall Street was freaking out, and you know exactly what I mean. I'm talking about people who thought that the end was nigh. <laughs> The oscillator I follow weighed in at minus 10. That's the most negative reading in three years. And honestly, this one's the worst I've seen in ages. The last time it came down to that level two years ago when the Dow hit 16,000 after a several thousand point pullback. Sell, 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 sell. And what happened next? One of the single greatest rallies in history. As the Dow surged all the way up to 26,000, you know, it, it hardly even took a pit stop. In other words, the oscillator is the single best way to detect capitulation when the weak hands finally surrender, beating down stocks and take off like a rocket. The extreme negativity from all the overselling is really why this market bottomed. You may have your thesis. I'm telling you, that's what happened. In the midst of the panic, it was the only signal that got you to buy. As I've told you endlessly, your greatest foe as an investor is not the market. It's your fellow shareholders, particularly those who bought on margin because their brokers forced them to sell the moment they smell blood in the water. All bottoms are marked by that kind of capitulation. And by the way, you know something? Uh, when we come off these bottoms, everyone says it's short covering rally. Uh-uh. Sometimes it's the real deal. In these situations, you need to buy something. Maybe you need to buy anything before the forced selling comes to an end. But at this point, well, that's occurred. It's too late now to back up the truck. The market ceased to go down further two weeks ago, and the snapback happened so fast it's made our head spin. We've up 60, 70 percent in a lot of cases since the oscillator screamed by back in uh, 
in 2016 when everyone else was sprinting for the exits. And now it's doing, it did it again, but it's too late. We have to wait. Still, I think it's worth looking back at what happened, because despite what you heard from many experts at the time, this decline this time was largely the work of hidden forces lurking in the shadows. No, I'm not talking about the Illuminati or the House. <laughs> They're in taxes. Their involvement goes without saying. But the real culprits were these poor fools who traded all kinds of instruments pegged to this volatility index. They traded vol. Sounds so obscure and clever. When those instruments broke down, we got margin calls all over the place because many of these funds had borrowed money to buy the S&P futures in short volatility. Basically, they made big bets that the market would remain calm rather than gyrating wildly. Individuals got into this sucker trade, too. And, and you know what? Those bets imploded spectacularly. But when the smoke cleared, many of these players were margined out and the market returned to some sort of semblance of, of sanity. It was just hard to tell. I got to tell you, this was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in ages. The action was totally divorced from reality, reality meaning the fundamentals, with the mangy Vic's tail wagging that fundamental dog, despite the fact that business remains very good. You just couldn't see it in the midst of all this carnage. In any given market, there are plenty of skirmishes, a few battles, and every now and then, you do get a great war. Sometimes the bulls win, sometimes the bears win. Sometimes you get a very protracted struggle, but you really know who will triumph until the smoke clears. This time was very different. Remember going to the big breakdown? We'd been having one of the greatest bull runs in living memory. When Donald J. Trump took office, the world did change. Sorry, it did. Like him or hate him, it changed. He's the most unabashedly pro-business, pro-stock market president since Reagan. I could argue he's even more than that. He sees the market as the political equivalent of his Nielsen's, his ratings, so to speak. And love him or hate him, once again, I say that this man does not like to lose. Something I experienced firsthand as a judge on his TV show, The Apprentice. Under this administration, we've seen a remarkable rollback of regulations and some radical tax cuts for Big business. I mean, huge cuts. Again, whatever your political beliefs, I speak to tons of companies, and it's very clear that these policies are having their intended effect. As companies spend more money in order to expand, expand now, that they no longer need to fear the regulators. Throw in the fact that our nation's bountiful oil and gas supplies have made it cheaper to manufacture in America, while the president's meat axe approach to our trading partners has indeed encouraged them to build factories here. And you got a lot of a lot of positives. Well, plus the whole global economy, both the emerging market and the established markets are on fire. In terms of the stock market here in this country, these changes dramatically expanded the sheer number of companies that can be considered investable. For years, much of our upside came from a few tech names like Fang, some discount retailers, some healthcare stocks, and the bond market equivalent names that benefit from low rates, the ones that had about 3% yield. Post-Trump, uh-uh. The cyclicals, companies lever to economic growth, suddenly came back into style. In fact, there's literally not enough of those kinds of stocks to go around. Companies like Caterpillar and Boeing benefit from two shortages. A shortage of their products, thanks to high demand, and a shortage of their stocks, thanks to their own endless buybacks. And those are really just two metaphors for a much larger group. And it's the holy grail. It's the combination leads to inexorably rising earnings estimates that, as Warren Buffett told Becky Quick this morning, will not be stopped by a small increase 
recent interest rates like we've had, especially not when we have a weak dollar and a booming global economy. Meanwhile, the digitization story is taking on new life thanks to the Internet of Things, which has bolstered spending on everything from logistics to autonomous driving, electric cars, the way retail works, the sheer number of companies caught up in this web dwarfs the sputtering cell phone and social media markets. Yes, absolutely. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet can still rally. Hey, Amazon and Netflix hit all-time highs today. My chapel trust has made a big position uh, out of Amazon. Like it very much. But more often lately, well, those particular stocks are taking a backseat to other kinds of tech. Cloud-based tech, Internet of Things tech. Layer on the huge tax cuts, you end up with domestic companies reporting sharply higher earnings, especially, by the way, the banks, which will benefit the most from the three or four rate hikes we now expect from the auspicious beginnings of Jay Powell's reign at the Fed. Remember, he goes to the Hill tomorrow. I actually expect good things. Now, here's the tricky part. All of these different factors were true before the breakdown, which started exactly one month ago. They were also true at the bottom, and they're still true now. But any bull market has non-believers who think stocks are too high, that it's all a house of cards. On top of that, they grabbed the megaphone very effectively, by the way, at the bottom. On top of that, the newfound volatility has taken a terrible toll on the psyche of many investors. At the briefest sign of a pullback, usually because of bond weakness or commodity declines, the VIX begins to spike. I don't think we've heard the last of that trade. And the fifth column of VIX-related ETFs wags the dog with that flea-bitten tail. That's why we no longer seem to have just one session. Today was different, but sometimes we have seen most of the days last week that I followed, you have one, two, or even three sessions in a given day, which is why it pays to maintain a higher cash position, even up here, and swap out of stocks with high dividends that no longer offer enough protection and go into ones that give you growth in a good, solid economic expansion. But the bottom line here is simple. There are a lot more buys than sells now in this market, although timing has become a lot more important. The false demons of higher interest rates will play havoc with the bullish angels. But thanks to the exceptional earnings power of actual companies, you can use any meaningful dip, even intraday, intra-session, as a buying opportunity. Now, you have to be careful. The oscillator I mentioned before that I swear by, it's now plus 4.6 after the run, meaning we're getting overbought. So you may just get your chance to buy into weakness sooner than you think, and it will be sudden. Is it too late to buy? Let's just say you need to be more selective. But the fates may give us a session within a session that produces cheaper prices. If that happens, please be ready to pass. We've got so much more mad money ahead. The maker of Cheerios wants to fill dog bowls. But does that make sense? I'm taking a closer look at a deal that people don't like, General Mills' acquisition of Blue Buffalo. Then a biotech company with shares up more than 250, uh, 150% in 2017. 150% and we've liked it. Is it time to go back into Novacure for those who've left? I'm going to be speaking with the executive chairman. And I'm revealing the lessons learned from the recent market sell-off. So I suggest that you stick with a rejuvenated Kramer. At a moment when so many stocks have rebounded so far, so fast, too fast for many, sometimes it pays to look for laggards, names that have been left behind by the bounce and unjustly punished. Look, most of the time I don't want to touch a stock that can't rally when the market's run. But every now and then you find an exceptional story that's been held back and maybe held back for the wrong reasons. Consider the case of General Mills. 
The company behind a host of packaged food brands, we all know, like Cheerios, Betty Crocker, Annie's, Yo Play, Nature Value, Valley, uh, Fiber One, Pillsbury, and Old El Paso, among many others. On Friday morning, we found out that General Mills is about to get buff. Buff, as in they're buying Blue Buffalo Pet products. That's B-U-F-F for you, home gamers. For AES, staggering $8 billion in cash, a 17% premium to where the high-end natural pet food play had been uh, the day before. And what happens? The stock of General Mills, it, will, it goes into a true tailspin. Tumbling from just under 55 on Thursday down to 51 and change today after two brutal, punishing sessions. Look, to be fair, normally the buyer stock tends to go down in a takeover scenario, especially when you're borrowing money and issuing a billion dollars worth of stock to fund it, as General Mills is doing. Still, we've had a lot of deals in recent months where there, that wasn't the case, where the acquirer rallied on the news, but not really in the food space. Hershey's stock has been a stinker since it announced the Amplified brand's deal, parent of Skinny Pop. In December, Campbell's Soup hadn't done any better since telling us about its $5 billion purchase, many thought over-purchase, of Snyder's Lance. You know, the company makes some pretzels uh, same day, among other things. And I know the food group isn't exactly beloved at the moment. It's frankly despised. Everybody wants to own smokestack stocks or tech stocks, bank stocks. Nobody's enthused about pantry plays like General Mills. Even with the 3.8% yield, it's going to become less attractive as interest rates rise and we get more bond market competition. But, and this is the mother of all bots, I think the Blue Buffalo deal is a brilliant move. I'm taking the other side of the trade. This makes uh, this pullback in General Mills a genuine buying opportunity. GIS already tumbled from 60 down to 55 during the big vortex of selling of these kinds of names. Now it's come down to 51 because of what I consider something that's smart. Call me a buyer at these levels. What makes me feel so confident about the general buying blue buff? For starters, just look at how my dogs, real good customers, we're talking about Everest, now known as Mr. NVIDIA, and Bug chow down on this stuff. <laughs> NVIDIA, hey, take out your eye. Take out your eye. Ready? On your mark, get set, go! They're so darn happy, it almost makes me want to try it. Kids don't contemplate that at home. It's still dog food. Granted, this is purely anecdotal and mostly an excuse to show a cute dog video I couldn't resist. More seriously, General Mills is buying into a thesis that I've been pushing for years, and that's the humanization of pets. These days, Americans treat their companion animals like family, or even better than family. We spend fortunes on our cats or dogs. We pay up for the biggest, uh, for the best veterinary care, which, by the way, a lot of that's not even insured. Uh, the best dog walkers and, of course, the best food. I mean, what kind of monster eats only organic food uh, and, but then feeds their dogs junk filled with all sorts of chemicals? Remember when toxic Chinese-made treats killed more than 1,000 dogs a few years ago? These days, pet lovers want to buy brand names they can trust, ideally natural food that's made in America with old glory on the bag as Buff wears all sports. I have to tell you, anyone on the, who reaches for the bag at the store, they see, that, they see that flag, they like it. 
I know people, though, hate this deal. The stock of General Mills is under severe pressure since it was announced. But you know what? I'm sorry. The humanization of pets is not some story I'm pulling out of thin air. In 2001, Americans spent $28.5 billion on their pets, according to American Pet Products Association. 2016, the latest year for which we have data. That number grew to $66 billion. Even when you adjust for inflation, what we spend on our companion animals is roughly doubled. Or consider the consistently excellent growth from IDEX. You know a company we like very much, the big maker of veterinary diagnostics equipment that's been doing very well as pet owners spend more and more in each visit to the vet. It's actually been where we found the thesis. Humanization pets theory, real and investable. And with the Blue Buffalo deal, General Mills will become the number one player in the wholesome natural pet food category overnight. Of course, lately there's been a dog fight in the dog food aisle, like you think I could first day back not take advantage of that one. I couldn't resist. But Blue Buffalo has been coming out on top, generating tremendous growth over the web as well as in bricks and mortar retail outlets. Hey, you know what? Also, we've been waiting, but J.M. Smucker, they, it's a big pet food business, too. And their latest quarter was a strong one. So perhaps the great dog fight over dog food is at last dying down. The fact is, the two big trends in this industry are the, on the rise are, are natural and premiumization. In other words, people are spending more and more money on fancier pet foods with healthier ingredients. Exactly the humanization of pet story I've been telling you for for years. Blue Buffalo is at the forefront of both trends, hence the company's consistent double-digit sales growth. Yet at the moment, only 3% of pets in the U.S. actually eat their food. That leaves them with a tremendous amount of room to expand on the leadership of the General Mills umbrella. More importantly, the Blue Buffalo deal solidifies General Mills' position as the repository of all things natural and organic. Three and a half years ago, the company bought Annie's for $850 million. And while a lot of people argued they overpaid at the time, in retrospect, getting all that organic business seems to have been a pretty smart move. Been to Whole Foods lately, their stuff's at the end of every aisle. Now, even though General Mills is shelling out $8 billion for this Blue Buff, management tells us the deal will be additive to the company's earnings starting in their 2020 fiscal year. Okay, so we got to wait a little bit, I get that. Jeff Hammerding, who took over as CEO of General Mills last year and has worked wonders to turn the business around after some lackluster performance by the predecessor, explains that they'll do the same thing with Blue Buffalo that they did with Annie's, using the company's expansive supply chain, marketing, R&D resources to really bolster the brand. The analysts, needless to say, were a lot less enthusiastic about the transaction, hence why the stock's been hit so hard. Even the bullish firms tempered their enthusiasm because of the relatively high price they paid, and that I admit they did pay. Bearish ones? Oh, just this morning. Society General downgraded General Mills from a hold to an actual sell, 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 sell. based on worries about execution and the billion-dollar equity issuance and the fact that spending $8 billion on Blue Buff leaves the company with a lot less room to make other acquisitions. Personally, I think a lot of the risk has now been taken out of the stock with General Mills now trading at 51 and change. Maybe I wouldn't have liked it at 55, but I'm rethinking. More important, the Blue Buffalo deal is really just the tip of the iceberg here. I, I like General Mills because it's a turnaround story. After reporting a series of disappointing quarters, and they were. Thanks to the weakness in the pantry section, the supermarket, the company's bread and butter, unfortunately. CEO Hammerding managed to double down on natural organic while instilling a greater sense of accountability in his subordinates. It's already seemed to be working. When General Mills reported the latest quarter in late December, the company delivered its first truly solid numbers in a long time. Blue Buffalo deal is just the latest step in the pivot to natural organic. Here's the bottom line. General Mills has been unjustly punished at this point for its delicious Blue Buffalo acquisition. And with shares of 50 sporting a 3.8% yield. You know what? Go hold to buy here. The stock's become simply too cheap to ignore. Let's go to Rick in Michigan. Rick. 
Booyah, Mr. Kramer from the Mitten State. All right. Good to have you, Rick. What's up? And welcome back uh, from the Olympic break. Thank you. Hey, uh, I just want to let you know, I'm a uh, first-time caller. I've been uh, went on a five-day cruise and did nothing but relax. Good for and you. read my Getting Back to Even book. Oh, good for you. Thank you for bringing me along on your cruise. I hope you had a great time. How can I help? Oh, I had a great time. So the stock at Starbucks, uh, when Starbucks last reported, they reported a, an acceleration in China and a deceleration in Americas. And my thought was, on the heels of the Dr. Pepper Snapple merger with Keurig, who, if any, would be a good strategic partner for Starbucks to acquire to help increase domestic sales and target the millennials. Well, I got to tell you, Rick, I, I think they target the millennials as, as is. I don't expect them to make any acquisitions. They're in a very uh, long uh, slog in the United States, but they're doing so well in China. I find it's kind of neither here nor there right now. A very tough stock to own, but not one that I think you can give away here. All right. It sometimes pays to look for laggards. Very rarely, but we have one going here. General Mills has become a tasty buy because it's come down too much. I'm calling it too cheap to ignore. You know what feels even better than making a lot of money in a stock of a company you believe in? When that company also happens to be doing something genuinely amazing for humanity. Yep, every now and then you can do well and also do good. Take Novacare, and the symbol here is NVCR. Here's a company that's pioneered a revolutionary new way to fight cancer. It's called Tumor Treating Fields. Basically, they have a machine that uses targeted electronic fields to strip disrupt critical mole molecules found with cancer cells, I mean, preventing them from reproducing. Very novel. Compared to traditional cancer treatments, surgery, chemo, radiation, the side effects are downright gentle. That may sound like fantasy, but Novacure's technology has already been approved as a treatment for GBM. That's one of the most aggressive and lethal forms of brain cancer. This company's extending people's lives. So it's not a surprise that their product has been selling very well. Novacure reported last weekend its revenue grew at 77% clip. And this is just the beginning as the company is studying its technology in all sorts of solid tumors, lung cancer, breast cancer, cervical cancer, colorectal cancer, pancreatic cancer, and other types of brain cancer. It could be a game changer. After all that, I almost feel crass that I've mentioned that this stock has given us a monster 157% gain last year. We've been recommending it all the way. Yet because of the recent sell-off, Novacure has pulled back more than 10 percent from its late January highs. Could this be a buying opportunity? Let's check in with Bill Doyle. He's Novacure's executive chairman of the board. Hear more about how his company's doing and where it is headed. Mr. Doyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Please have a seat, Bill. Good to see you. Good to see you, Jim. But you know what? Uh, I, on Twitter today, uh, we did something we usually do, which is say we have a guest on about a company, and we had an outpouring. And the outpouring is from people who are really thrilled that they are getting more chance to live from your device. Pete's Brain Brigade, a race this weekend, a 5K in Orlando, where everyone's rooting for this gentleman who's using your product. This doesn't sound like the typical kind of thing people talk about when they're trying to beat brain cancer. You know, Jim, I'm glad you brought up the human side of what we're doing, because we often talk about science and the numbers, of course. Right. But I get these emails almost every single day from patients and patients' family. We presented data at the Society of Neuro-Oncology, SNOW, in November, where we showed not only the average, if you will, of all patients who use the data, but we showed it by the 
dedication or the time per day. And for the patients who use it 90% of the time, because with this therapy, when it's on, it's killing cancer cells. When it's not, it's not. Those patients showed a five-year survival of 30%. This is up from single digits, uh, low single digits of this disease. So we are giving patients hope and we're, we're giving them a much greater chance for a very long-term survival. But one of the things I've liked about you, and I've seen this, pro this product shrink in size and become more and more usable, but you've never said it's a cure. But you have always said it's an opportunity. It's giving some uh, people hope to live longer. And perhaps there will be some cures in the offering. But in the meantime, we do want survival rates to increase, and we want them to increase with, with a quality of life that this gives you. That's another very important uh, element of the Novacure story, because as, as healthy individuals, you may see a device like this that weighs 2.7 pounds, and you think, gee, I need to carry this all the time, uh, and I need to put the transducer arrays that you see in some of the, uh, the background video mm -hmm. around my cancer. But we published data in JAMA Oncology just recently that showed, in fact, the quality of life of patients on this therapy is maintained for a much longer period of time than patients who don't use it. And that's because the disease itself, as it progresses, the, the quality of life deteriorates. This is a neurodegenerative disease. So counterintuitive, but in fact, the quality of life is better on therapy than not on therapy. Okay, so it seems like the, that maybe the best alley right now for growth is international. We're waiting for something with Medicare, but other countries are really embracing this with great alacrity. So we have a, I think a, from an investment opportunity, a relatively simple two-pronged uh, opportunity. Opportunity number one, as you mentioned, is to grow the existing business in glioblastoma. That growth is coming from three uh, principal sources. Number one, as you mentioned, our international expansion. And in fact, in December, we received approval from the Japanese government for reimbursement. So that is a major opportunity for us. Number two, as the bulk of our patients move from using it as a second-line therapy to a first-line therapy. And in Q4, we said that now 66% of the new patients are using it at the time of diagnosis. They use it much longer. Right. That's better for them, but it's also better for the company. Uh, and then finally, we are still uh, early days in terms of penetration. We think in the U.S., about 25% of the patients who can benefit are getting it today. This is because this is very new to doctors right. as well as patients. So we continue to work with the clinical community. So with the existing business, there's multiple avenues for continued growth. The second part of the strategy, of course, is to use it in other tumors. And in that regard... GBM is among the smallest we're focusing on. Oh, that's great. The next one in the pipeline is mesothelioma. This is the lung cancer right. associated with asbestos exposure, another terrible right. prognosis. Uh, we will have a data readout uh, in the second half of this year, so in the next few months uh, with respect to mesothelioma. And we have three additional phase three trials underway, non-small cell lung cancer, mm -hmm. The area that I'm, in many respects, the most optimistic about is pancreatic cancer. Wow. This is another killer. Right. It's, it's today the third largest cause of cancer death in the U.S., and it's growing and will be number two soon. And then ovarian cancer, which will start wow. later this year. Well, look, I, we got a finger crossed. I don't want to give any false hopes, but I've seen your... Uh 
device in action and saw uh, personal friends' life be prolonged far longer than anybody thought. That's why I'm so glad you came on the show. Uh, this is Bill Doyle. He's Novacare's ch- executive chairman of the board. Please, there's many, many uh, decks and research. I want you to get familiar with it before you buy it because it is a speculative stock, but they do have plenty of cash and they've got a lot of opportunity. May have money's back after the break. Hi, Jim. I hope it all is well. Thank you. I appreciate, I'd appreciate your thoughts on STM and its future good, as a major Good player. tech, good semi, like the group. Let's go to uh, Tina in Tennessee. Tina! Jim, my husband and I watch you every night. Oh, Boy, thank have we you. you. Thank you. What do we got? You changed, you changed your dog's name to NVIDIA. We changed my husband's name from Tom to Kramer. Fair enough. Um, like that. Speaking of pets. What's your take on Pet Med Express? Not bad. I do prefer Idex Labs. It's got much more consistency. Drew in Georgia. Drew. Hey, buddy. Yeah. I love you and your team. Thank what you. What about L-I-T-E? Optics are too hard for me. I'm going to have to say buy. take a Don't pass. Buy. We got a lot of other good semis going. Hey, a lot of good tech. A lot of other good. Let's just say do Cisco. How about Neil in Colorado? Neil. Jimbo. Yo. Everyone tells you booyah. But I want to give you a special assaulted all the way from the great city of Denver, Colorado. I'm going to take that in, in spades. What's happening? Hey, man, uh, there's been some insider buying lately in the company by CFO Matt Walsh and CEO Brent Saunders. Is Aller going to buy here? You know what? I t- I'm neither here nor there on it. My travel trust has a small position in it. Frankly, it may. It, what we're all worried about is a down year 2018, and there's no way a drug stock can have a down year 2018 unless they split the company up. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It's been a great day, but we got to get serious about something that I'm not happy about. One last thing about the hideous decline that now seems happily behind us. Don't believe the jokers who tell you that this move made sense. I've heard many a yapper talk about how stocks got too expensive. But given the strength of the earnings season we just got through, you know what? It's looking more and more like a bogus argument. Remember how this whole thing unfolded? Less than a month ago, the Labor Department non-farm payroll report showed slightly higher than expected wage growth, slightly. This caused bond yields to rise and precipitated a rapid decline in stocks, even as real wage growth was stagnant for those who bothered to look under the hood. But we now know that decline was well out of proportion with the number itself, especially since inflation-adjusted wages for averagely workers, well, you know what, they're not that strong. In short, there was nothing in these numbers to make you believe that the Federal Reserve was suddenly going to get super aggressive when it comes to raising interest rates. It's still the three to four that's been on the table the whole time. Surging bond yields, look, U.S. Treasuries are still very attractive versus foreign pieces of paper. So there's only so high the rates can go, can rise, before we get flooded with money from overseas just to do the arbitrage. That additional bond buying pushes rates back down, or at least keeps a lid on them, which seems to be happening right now, despite all the massive amounts of money our government is indeed borrowing. 
So what did cause the brutal decline? As I've said repeatedly, it was all about the spike in the volatility index and the unanticipated consequences of far too many money managers betting against volatility. Too many people bet the market would remain placid with ever-increasing amounts of leverage. That was that margin debt issue, and they got crushed the moment things got turbulent. In short, the blame is with these products designed to bet on or short the VIX. Now, I've spent years railing against exactly these kinds of obtuse products. The show's been on for a long time. I've talked about this a long time. Even many professionals don't understand them, and they have far too much power over the underlying security. So you do end up again with the tail wagging the dog scenario. When the SEC first started approving these instruments, I led the charge against them. I came on here constantly. I said that we could one day see leveraged hedge funds manipulate the entire market using them, and by the way, manipulate them down. Uh, but that charge fell on deaf ears. Key industry participants who stood to make a lot of money from these products held sway. There are billions of dollars in fees at stake, and they will fight tooth and nail to keep the businesses alive, usually claiming that the clients want these products, so why not? And, of course, not all it's manipulation. A lot of it's just failed, bad trading. You know what? The clients want a lot of things that may be good public policy. But if the clients want you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? What we saw this month is the natural consequence of these things. A group of instruments went out of control, run by stupid people who got margined out, and they created what actually amounted to systemic risk. Unbelievable. Or at least the impression systemic risk out of thin air. That's why I'm calling on Congress to investigate these instruments. I'm calling for the SEC's enforcement arm to look into whether there's culpability and manipulation, while the corporate finance department of the SEC should re-examine the reasoning behind allowing exactly these kinds of products, including the double and t- triple kinds of products, to be in the first place. The SEC needs to recognize that a small amount of capital could have wrecked our markets, and there's nothing stopping it from happening again. We need to change the rules and perhaps even outright ban some of these ETFs and ETNs. I'm the only one saying this. I don't care. I will keep doing this. Now, if you don't believe me that bad things did happen, I do want you to go listen to Warren Buffett today, Becky Quick. I was saying there was no reason for these products, that they're just gambling. They have no place in the investment firmament. What would really be lost? Okay, some fees. Maybe a few strategies that fail. What will be gained? How about this? How about a restoration of the integrity of the system, a system that's been challenged yet again by instruments that should never have been created? Stick with Craig. Don't miss tonight's season premiere of American Greed. Notorious CEO Martin Shkreli jacks the price up of a life-saving drug 5,000%. But it's his shady accounting internet trolling that lands the farmer bro in hot water. Don't miss it. Like I say, there's always a more market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here, man money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.